My name is Greg Kodrowski, and this is my podcast, Theology 101. I like to study the Bible, and I don't think the Bible is really that difficult to understand. For the most part, it's really pretty simple, and simple is better. So if you're like me, and you want to know more about the Bible, or if you just want to hear more about the Bible, stick around. And if you want to know more about me or check out my pedigree, Google me or visit my website, theology101.net. Ho, ho, ho. Merry Christmas. Jesus was not born on December 25th. Okay, you can call me Scrooge, I guess. Um, but if Jesus was not born on, on December 25th, when was he born? I think if you follow that whole podcast, hour and a half, that last uh, study, you saw that in that first um, administration, if, if Zechariah was actually serving during his first administration of the course of Abiah, well, Jesus Christ was conceived on uh, December 25th and not born on December 25th, conceived on December 25th and then born on September 29th, the first day of the Feast of Tabernacles. But okay, what if what if he, Zechariah, was working during his second week of the year, his second administration? All right, now again, I'm going to put a link to a, a chart that I made in Spanish, uh, but you can see it visually. Basically, all we're doing is taking the same events you know the 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 you know Zechariah serving in the temple and then walking home in the in the hills of Judah and then Elizabeth conceives and six months later Mary conceives and then months here and months there and we get to the birth and the conception and all of that all we're taking is taking the same um, the same events and we're shifting them forward six months because we're just starting we're taking a new starting point instead of our starting point being the first week that um, Zechariah was ministering in the temple up in the third month, we're shifting it down six months and taking a look at, well, okay, how does all this fit together if he was actually serving during his second week of the year? And so I put another chart together. It's the same, like I said, the same events. It's the same chart. They're just in a, they're just shifted forward um, six months, okay, six months. So that's what we're going to look at here in this podcast, and frankly, there's there's not a lot to to look at. What I want to do is 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 put this together for this second administration and kind of show you where the conception falls and where the birth falls, and we'll talk a little bit about the uh, the theological evidence where I think we see a lot of the weight of the argument for um, the December twenty fifth and September twenty ninth scheme, and we'll talk about the theological evidence. Um, related to this second administration also. And then we'll just tie up some loose ends, put a bow on it, and like I said, uh, Merry Christmas, and we'll be on our way. So um, there were 24 classes. Here's our, our review. Okay, 24 classes. It's First Chronicles 24, verses 7 to 19, 24 groups of priests, and it appears that each one of them served in order one week, from uh, Sabbath to Sabbath. And so that means they serve twice a year. Now, how do we get to this? You know, how okay, he's on the eighth class. Um, Zechariah is the class of Abiah. Abiah is the eighth in, in order. Well, all we have to do is start from the last week of the year, and we put the 24th class on the last week of the year because we know they all the classes served once a year. So in the last administ the first administration, we started the first week of the first month with the first class, and then we counted to, to eight. 
right? We had to fit in two of the great feasts, but that was that was fine to just kind of fit them in and then keep counting down to eight. Well, what we're going to do with the second one is do it in reverse, okay, backwards. We're going to start with the 24th class on the last week, which is the fourth week of the 12th month, Adar, and all we have to do is count back. So 24, 23, 21, 20, 2019, I, I messed that up, but we just count back to eight, okay? So take a look at the, the chart, and you'll see that. We just start with the 24th class at the, on the fourth week of uh, the 12th month, and we go 23, and then 22, and 21. We go the 11th month, the 10th month, the 9th month, and you'll find that the 8th class of Abiah, Zachariah's class, served their second week of the year during the fourth week of the eighth month. So the last week of March or Bul, the eighth Hebrew month, was the week that Zechariah had to work his second week during the year according to his class of Abiah. Okay? So <clears throat> we just take the same thing that we have we we've seen. We apply the, the, the details that we already pulled out in the previous study, and we come to our, our conclusion. Zechariah was serving in Jerusalem during the, uh, the fourth week of March Suan, which is the, the um, what did I say, the eighth month, okay? Um, he has to stay in Jerusalem for that following Sabbath because he can't, you know, walk on the Sabbath day. It's 45 kilometers from his house, on average, to, to uh, his house in the hill country of Judah. We picked Judah, if you remember that, so 45 kilometers. So that takes about a week for him to, to get home. And then once he gets home, that after that week of travel, then we have the week where Elizabeth conceives. So Elizabeth would conceive, not the following week, but the second week after, uh, Zechariah's week of service in the tabernacle in the temple up in Jerusalem. So that would be the second week of the ninth month, Kislu. That's when John the Baptist would be conceived. And so if we just count six months forward from the, the conception of John the Baptist, like we saw in Luke chapter 1, she stays in the house for five months, and then during the sixth month, the uh, Gabriel talks to Mary and gives her the announcement of the miraculous conception and birth of the Messiah. And so then Mary uh, walks to, to Elizabeth's house from Nazareth, which is basically 100 miles, and uh, she gets there. So after six months, um, we see that, that uh, Jesus is conceived by the Holy Ghost in, in Mary, and Mary now has fruit in her womb. Okay, so that's six months later, so we just count six months, and we get the uh, conception of Jesus Christ, and then we count nine months from the conceptions of John and Jesus, and we, we, we land with the, uh, with the birth dates of John the Baptist and then Jesus. And so John the Baptist, according to this second administration, this, this second scheme, this second outline, we see that John the Baptist would be born right around the time of the Feast of Trumpets um, or the Feast of Tabernacles in that, in that time frame. Jesus would have been born around the time of the Passover. Okay, so um, like I said, you know, you can work out all these dates. It's the same stuff we, we saw back in, in the first administration. I don't want to belabor all the points, um, like I said, if you look at my charts, I know they're in Spanish. You can just count the months. Frankly, it's it's really easy. 
And uh, this sequence of, of birth and, and or conception and birth is basically just six months ahead or six months different than what we saw in the first administration. So in the first administration, we saw that John was born around Passover. So in this administration, Jesus, uh, six months, it's just shift by six months. So Jesus, according to this um, scheme, would have been born around the time of Passover, okay? So if we accept that, that you know, I'm going to hang on one second. <clears throat> Okay, so that, that's that's basically it, okay? Like I said, I don't want to belabor the points. We've already been through this, man, upside, one side, down the other, we're going to flog a dead horse. So if we're going to say that Zechariah, Zacharias was serving during the second administration, his second week during the year uh, for the course of Abiah, then we can, okay, here's where we talk. Let's talk a little bit about um, theological evidence. Uh, Christ was conceived, according to this scheme, Christ was conceived then around the third week of the third month. That's Sivan. No theological significance whatsoever in that month of Sivan. There's nothing theologically significant related to that week, that month, or any date associated with it. So there's, there's just nothing there. If he was conceived six months after the conception of John, uh, John was conceived, you know, two weeks after the, the week that, that Zacharias served, um, we see that Jesus was okay conceived in the May, uh, the month of Sivan, third month. There, there's just not nothing there. Now, Christ then would have been born during the first couple of weeks of the first month of Nisan. And like I said, that means Jesus Christ was born around the time of the Passover. Okay, and. And that's about the same time that he died. I mean, you know, we celebrate the the resurrection, Resurrection Sunday and Easter and all of that, uh, you know, the last week of March, first week of April, around that time frame. That's the time frame that we're looking at here. Now, Floyd Nolan Jones, in his, uh, in his book, The Chronology of the Old Testament, he says this uh, about this um, second this second option, the second administration. Floyd Nolan Jones, he says... Uh, as Nisan 14th is Passover day, we see that in this scenario, it becomes possible that our Lord could have been born on Passover and thus would have been crucified on his birthday. Okay? And that's it. Okay? For this second administration, that's it. Now, we're less than 10 minutes into this podcast. Okay, now I know we did all the front loading. Okay, we worked through all the details of how we pieced together the timeline of the conceptions and the births in, during the first administration during that study. Okay, so we did the heavy lifting, we did the front loading, we understand that, so we don't have to spend so much time uh, developing those ideas here in the second administration. But think back to that other podcast. How much time did we spend? talking about John 1.14 and that word dwelt, tabernacled among us. How much time did we spend talking about the, the Feast of 
tabernacles, okay, that went along with the Feast of Trumpets, which was a prophetic picture of the gathering of Israel according to the Palestinian Covenant, and then the Day of Atonement, which is a, happens at the second coming of Christ when the New Covenant comes into effect, and then the Feast of Tabernacles, a picture of the Messiah, God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, dwelling, tabernacling among men for a thousand years, reigning on the throne of, of David, and all that being a picture of the second coming of Christ and and how they during the millennium each year they're going to celebrate the this the feast of tabernacles in Jerusalem and that that is also a picture and a type for us of this first coming of Christ who came to reign and and rule on the throne of David and how much time did we spend developing all of all of that what we can see in the theology around the dates of uh, the conception and the birth of Christ, and and how much time do we even spend talking about um, extra biblical holidays? You know, December twenty fifth being Christmas, and and September 29th being the the holiday of Michael and all the angels. We spend some time talking about that weird stuff too. Okay, how much is there to talk about as far as theological evidence for this second administration? Well, it's what Floyd Nolan Jones just said. If this second administration is what we got, then Jesus Christ was born on Passover and he was crucified on his birthday. That's it. There ain't no more. So, you know, what can we learn from that? What's our takeaway? And here's where we're going to start tying up some loose ends. What we know for certain, what we know for certain, is that Jesus Christ was not born on December 25th. He was either born on September 29th, during the first day of the Feast of Tabernacles, or he was born on or about April 11th, which is uh, the day of the, the Passover, 14th of Nisan. That's our second administration, what we're looking at right now. What we know for certain is Jesus Christ was not born in December. So before we finish up our study, as we're tying up some loose ends, I want to talk about the principal arguments against the birth of Christ being in December. <clears throat> now, I'm going to borrow this from Floyd Nolan Jones and Bullinger's Companion Bible. Number one, think about the secular background of December 25th being a celebration of a birthday. Okay, the secular background of December 25th being a celebration of a birthday. Here's what Floyd Nolan Jones says in his chronology of the Old Testament. When Constantine issued forth his decree of religious tolerance known as the Edict of Milan, A.D. 313, it suddenly became fashionable to profess Christianity. Overwhelmed by thousands upon thousands of new but unregenerate members, the church soon became the state church of the Roman Empire, bringing their traditions and religious holidays with them. These pagans gradually subverted the church and eventually installed the 25 December birthday of the Egyptian god Horus, Osiris, as being that of our Lord. So that's the, the secular background of December 25th being the celebration of a birthday. 
It comes from the pagan Egyptian god Horus, also called Osiris, being shoved into Christianity on December 25th and calling it the birthday of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Roman Catholic Church adopted December 25th as the date of the birth of Jesus Christ in 440 A.D. Jones continues and he says the date, December 25th, was selected to coincide with the Roman heathen festival of Saturnalia, which was held annually in honor of the birth of the son of Semiramis, the Babylonian queen of heaven. You see the Babylonian queen of heaven in Jeremiah 7 and 44. Jones continues, known as Isis in Egypt, this queen's son was said to have been born about the time of the winter solstice. Observed near winter solstice, it was among the many pagan traditions the compromising organized church absorbed from the ancient Babylonian priesthood. So it bled into Christendom through the Roman Catholic Church when Constantine issued his edict, the Milan Edict, in AD 313, and it was officially adopted as the birth of Jesus Christ in 440 AD by the Roman Catholic Church. And then Bullinger, in his Companion Bible, he talks about three specific arguments against December 25th being the date of the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Floyd Nolan Jones thinks that his three arguments are weighty enough that he includes them word for word in a footnote in his chronology of the Old Testament. So if Jesus was born on December 25th, think about three things. Number one, the distance pregnant Mary had to travel to go to Bethlehem for the census to get counted for taxing by the Romans. Here's what, here's what uh, Bullinger says. The extreme improbability, amounting almost to impossibility, that Mary, under such circumstances, could have undertaken a journey of about 70 miles as the crow flies. 70 miles through a hill district averaging some 3,000 feet above sea level in the depth of winter. Folks, we're talking about what he says is an extreme improbability amounting to an impossibility that Mary could ever have made that journey. It's cold, 3,000 feet above sea level. It's December going into January. It's the depth of winter to travel 70 miles. And that 70 miles is the crow flies because it's hill country. Number two, the pastors. The pastors who are out tending their flocks, abiding in the open fields. Listen to what he says about this. Shepherds and their flocks would not be abiding in the open fields at night in December for the paramount reason that there would be no pasturage at that time. It was the custom then as now to withdraw the flocks during the month of Marchesvan, October or November, from the open districts and house them for the winter. So think about it. There's no grass for the, for the sheep, the flocks to eat. Why would they have them out in the pasture? There's no pasture. They've already got the, the hay in the barns, and then they keep the animals in the barns and feed them during the winter. So that was the second reason. The third reason, this edict of Caesar, okay, to, uh, to count the people, the census. <clears throat> he says this, the Roman authorities 
This would be Luke chapter 2. The Roman authorities, in imposing such a census-taking for the hated and unpopular foreign tax, would not have enforced the imperial decree of Luke 2.1 at the most inconvenient and inclement season of the year by compelling the people to enroll themselves at their respective cities in December. In such a case, they would naturally choose the line of least resistance and select a time of year that would cause the least friction and interference with the habits and pursuits of the Jewish people. This would be in the autumn when the agricultural round of the year was complete and the people generally more or less at liberty to take advantage as we know of, did of the opportunity of going up to Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles. It's it's to say that the, the agricultural year was done, the harvest was in, and people had spare time on their hands. Okay, That's why they went up for such a time as a Feast of Tabernacles and could spend up to three weeks in Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles, continuing with Bullinger, which was the crowning feast of the Jewish year. Whereas to attempt to enforce the edict of registration for the purpose of imperial taxation in the depth of winter, when traveling for such a purpose, would have been deeply resented and perhaps have brought about a revolt, would never have been attempted by such an astute ruler as Augustus. So here's our conclusion. Here's where we're going to wrap this up. Jesus Christ was not born on on December 25th. He was either born on September 29th during the first day of the Feast of Tabernacles, if in Luke chapter 1, Zechariah was serving during the first week of his class of Abiah. Or he was born on on, on April 11th during the Feast of the Passover, if in Luke chapter 1, Zechariah was serving during the second week of the course of Abiah. Now, the scholarly position of no commitment, right? You look and you read the scholars, you read their books, and they just kind of lay out like a buffet. Well, it was either this or that, or this could mean this, or this could be that, and here and there and there and this, and they don't really commit, right? I understand why they do that. Um, they want to leave it for each individual to, to figure it out for themselves and take that step of faith and accept it. Okay, I get it. I get it. But look, Floyd Nolan Jones, he does his chronology of the Old Testament is the best book on Old Testament chronology I have ever found. He gives this scholarly position of no commitment. And I think he does it in such a way that I want to quote him because it basically leaves us with what we have if all we do is analyze the biblical and historical evidence. If we do not take into account the theological evidence associated with these dates and these events, then this is what we have. He says, We have no sure way of determining whether Zechariah was ministering at the temple during the first or second yearly administration of the course of Abijah. And he's right. With only the biblical and historical evidence, there's really not enough evidence to say with certainty this or that. We simply say there's there's two possibilities, and that's it. With biblical evidence and historical evidence, we know that Jesus Christ was not born in December. But we have to choose between two possibilities, September 29th or April 11th, a fall birth or a spring birth. However, 
Now think about a scale, okay? One of those scales, like, uh, you know, the, the statute of the, the justice woman, a balance with a tray on one side and a tray on the other. If we take into account the theological evidence associated with these two options, these two possibilities, we see one is, is head and shoulders above the other. It outweighs the other with, with no doubt whatsoever. Look, the, the theological evidence tips the balance with no doubt whatsoever. So if we assume a position of faith, if we assume that position that believes the Bible, that believes every word of the Bible, that believes in the consistency of the Bible, we're not only going to evaluate the biblical evidence, we're also going to take a look at the historical evidence, and we're going to add the theological evidence that we can see in the plan and program of God throughout all of the biblical history we have in the Bible. And Dr. Ruckman declares this position of faith in his commentary on Luke chapter 1, verse 5. He takes into account the theological evidence. And I know I cited him before, and I'm going to cite him again. Here is a quote from Dr. Ruckman. Luke 1, 5. If you make verse 5 refer to the second ministration of Zacharias... Then John the Baptist is conceived at the end of December. Nine months later, in September, he's born around the Feast of Tabernacles. That would place the birth of Christ six months later around Passover. But that won't do at all, says Dr. Ruckman. You say, why not? Look at John 1.14. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Dr. Ruckman says, that's a verse on the incarnation of Jesus Christ. That's the living word taking on a body of flesh. Do you know what Simon Peter calls the body? He calls it a tabernacle, 2 Peter 1, 13 and 14. So does the Apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians 5, 1. You see that word dwelt there in John 1, 14? That's translated from the Greek word eskenosin, which means tabernacle. Jesus Christ wasn't born on Passover. He was born at the Feast of Tabernacles. So the course of Abiah in Luke 1.5 is the first ministration in June. That would make John the Baptist born at Passover, with Jesus Christ being born six months later at Tabernacles. It was his conception. It was the conception of Jesus Christ that took place on December 25, not his birth. You see, Christ died on Passover day. During the Passover, it was the lamb that died as a substitutionary sacrifice. Passover is not a celebration of birth. Passover is a celebration of death. It's the substitutionary death that provides salvation for lost man. Jesus Christ was not born on the Passover. Jesus Christ died on the Passover day. That's when he became our Passover. Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Jesus Christ was born on the day he made his tabernacle among men, on the day his body was born among men. John 1.14 again. John 1.14, and the Word was made flesh. When? 
December 25th, when Mary conceived by the, the Holy Spirit of God, and the Word dwelt among us, tabernacled among us. The Word, the eternal Word, tabernacled, dwelt among us on September 29th, the first day of the Feast of Tabernacles. That is biblical evidence, historical evidence, and theological evidence for the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. We celebrate Christ on December 25th, but it's the celebration, not the celebration of his birth that we we should celebrate, it's the celebration of his conception. And the church has before celebrated on September 29th the celebration of Michael and all the angels, all the angels glorifying God. Why? Because of the birth of the Savior of the world in Luke chapter 2, the day when Jesus Christ, the Lord God, made his tabernacle among men. And so, look, everybody wants to say Merry Christmas around this time of year. I'm recording this on December 24th. Tomorrow is Christmas Day. Tomorrow is December 25th. And you know what? Christmas means Christ Mass, a celebration of Christ. The people in the world, because of the Roman Catholic Church, the influence of the devil, and the, tra- and the pagan traditions of men, they want to celebrate the, the birth of the Lord tomorrow on December 25th. But they just simply are ignorant of the fact that it's a celebration of Christ. It is the celebration of his conception tomorrow on December 25th. The celebration of his birth is nine months from now on September 29th. So look, if somebody tells you tomorrow, Merry Christmas, happy celebration of Jesus Christ, you know what you can do? You can smile and tell them the same thing. Merry Christmas, because today is a celebration of the miraculous conception of the Savior of the world. This is the day that God became flesh in the womb of the Virgin Mary. And so as we give gifts to each other, I know it's corny, but I'm going to say it. Look, first or 2 Corinthians 9.25. 2 Corinthians 9.25, because I'm finished here, we're finished, we're done. 2 Corinthians 9.15, I'm sorry. 2 Corinthians 9.15, Paul says, Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. He says in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So remember this holiday season. Holiday means holy day, a day set apart as sacred, sacred unto God for his use. Tomorrow, December 25th, is a holiday. Tomorrow, December 25th, is a holy day, a sacred day, a day God set apart to give the greatest gift to men. He wrapped that gift up in the womb of the Virgin Mary and he left it under the tree for nine months. And when that gift was given to men on September 29th, that gift, the Savior of mankind, he lived 30 years and then started his ministry. He ministered three and a half years, and then he died on Passover day. He became the Passover lamb. He became our substitute 
He died in our place and then rose again the third day to offer us eternal life, new life in him, forgiveness of sins, the greatest gift that anyone could ever offer us. A gift must be received. It's received through repentance and faith. And I hope that because of repentance and faith, you've converted to Jesus Christ. And so today, whenever you're listening to this, you can think on December 25th and remember, remember the greatest gift of all, the gift that God gave man. He put that gift wrapped up in the womb of the Virgin Mary. It's the gift of his son. For God so loved the world, he gave. He gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life. If you have the Son, you have life. If you have not the Son of God, you have not life. Thanks be to God for his unspeakable gift. Merry Christmas. Thanks for spending your time listening to my podcast, Theology 101. Simple is better, and it's just not that difficult to learn the Bible so we can do what it tells us. You can find the rest of my studies in English out on my website, theology101.net. And if you do Spanish, tengo más de 15 años de estudios bíblicos disponibles en mi sitio web, teología101.net. If you'd like to contact me, there's a contact page on my website. You're also more than welcome to visit me any Sunday that you wish. My church information is also out on my website. Remember what Nicholas von Zinzendorf always said, preach the gospel, die, be forgotten. Learn the Bible, do what it tells you. And come back for more Theology 101.